I come met- back next week for chapter 26 of the foster family voyage <laughs> what are you talking about are we talking about like everything no oh oh my gosh i didn't know what we were talking like we we're talking about everything that we've done no oh Okay, just go on to the next subject then. <laughs> well, finish what you're going to well, say. Well, I'm just talking about myself since it's my podcast. <laughs> okay, then talk. Anyways. <laughs> That's going to have to be in it's, it's absolutely going to stay in there. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> this is Kate Foster with the one and only Mr. Travis Foster at Unfiltered Voices. Thank you so much for being here and listening to this first episode. You have no idea how scary this is. I wasn't scared to release my last couple short ones, but for some reason, this is just making me feel really scared and emotional. And I've actually like been crying all day long. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I actually haven't ever felt this way about anything before. So just take take this for what it is. Um, I'm hoping that it can be uplifting. I hope it can be inspiring for some people. I hope that you can potentially change your mind about a situation or get a new perspective from something that you've heard on here. This podcast doesn't have an agenda as far as topics go. Um, It's a storytelling podcast and I have recorded 18 of the most incredible stories I know that if you listen to these stories with an open mind, that you will be able to get something out of every single one. I know I've been changed by listening to them, and I have seen that person telling the story actually be changed in a way that that has surprised them. Um, A lot of times we know our story, we know what we've done, we know what we've gone through, but rarely do we say it out loud. And I have seen the magic and the power in that. And you guys, these are are awesome stories, awesome people. And I'm excited for you to get to know my family a little bit today in this episode. So thank you so much for being here. And just please be kind and patient because I'm just learning all the things. (laughs) So Trav and I have been married for almost well in January will be 17 years that's so long (laughs) and I was just 20 when barely 20 when we got married and I was barely 15 (laughs) I've had a lot of challenges and yeah trials and but we've also had a lot of good things yeah we have five kids so clearly we can't keep our hands off of each other. If you five beautiful children. Five beautiful children. <laughs> what? Four strong boys and a beautiful daughter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tra- Trav has a really dry sense of humor, and I think that you'll probably catch on to that by the end of this. Mm-hmm. But four strong boys. We have two-year-old Alex, who is seriously the cutest thing right now with playing with his toys. Don't you think? Like even in the last couple of days. Yes. So cute. And then we have Eddie, and he is six and in first grade, and he's everybody's favorite individually. Like, I think everybody feels like Eddie's their best friend in the family. 
And then Sam is 10. Brad is 11, but he'll be 12 next week. And Audrey is 15 and just started high school. Travis is a high school English teacher, and he has been a high school football coach in the past. But right now he's coaching our 10-year-old son's little league football team. And I thought that that was either going to break or make the relationship. And I was leaning a little bit more towards break, but they seem to be doing a pretty good job together. Um, I, I've always wanted to work for myself. I've never wanted someone to tell me what to do. I've always just wanted to be in charge of myself. And that's because I'm so stubborn and I hate people telling me what to do. She hates people to tell her what to do. Yeah. Like I would rather die than have you tell me what to do. It might be a little character flaw. Yeah. But it also like, makes me who I am. Yes. Do not call Katie up and tell her something to do. Yeah. It's like but she does thing. like to tell people what to do. Oh, I'm for sure. I'm bossy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Travis has his own character flaws, though, too. I'm not going to point them out right now. They might become apparent by the end of this episode, though. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have a really strong intuition and I trust myself a lot and that's what's led me to do this podcast is because, well, since January or maybe even December, the thought came into my mind to do this and and I really feel like it was God telling me to do this. It was an impression. I just remember saying like, you have to take this away from me because I, I'm spending too much time and energy like thinking about it. And I really can't do it. Like, I can't add that into my life right now because I would have to learn everything and I don't even know how. I don't, I have an eight year old computer. Like, I don't even know how to, to do anything. I'm so illiterate with computers. I think the people that know you understand why you would create a podcast. You're, you're a very social, you love people, you love to help people, you love to serve people, and I think overall you have this energy that people gravitate to and that they love sharing their stories with you and you're always there to listen, so I think that's what is leading you to doing this. Well, that's very and nice. Other than your, your, I mean, your spiritual experience is obviously a big thing, but I'm just saying I think people gravitate to you. Well, Travis, those are very nice things for you to say about me. Thank you. You're welcome. You guys, this might be my best trick yet. I don't know why I didn't think of starting a podcast sooner so I could just hear my husband say good things about me. (laughs) Just kidding. In 2010, we sold our townhouse and Travis went back to school to become a teacher. When I had met him, he was in school to be an art professor And then the year that we got married, we got pregnant. So he got his license in real estate and started working with his sister. Uh, She had her own group. And then he started doing um, appraisals for banks. And then I got my massage therapy license, which for me, that has ended up being like such a blessing. And I feel like that's kind of my life's work. There's nothing that I 
would love to do more for the rest of my life than be a massage therapist. We decided to sell our house and we moved it to Mill Creek and that's where we lived until he finished school and then we moved to Las Vegas. So we decided to uproot our family and move out to Las Vegas, which was quite the adventure for Katie. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I think she, when we got there, she cried every night and she missed home. She's never been, I don't think she's ever been away from her family. So that. And I found out that I was pregnant and didn't know. I think that added to my crying. Yes, my very emotional. Hormones. Like yes. I honestly, the minute my mom left, I started crying and I didn't stop for like months. Well, we, we did struggle a lot, though. That was hard because... Yeah, we were really poor. We were really, really poor. Like, like I don't think that we understood how poor we were. I mean, we, there's no way we could have... Well, we're still pretty poor, but... It was like a sick feeling a lot of the time. Yeah. And I just remember after our, our, after our first year there, we were lucky enough to find a house in our same school boundaries and our same church boundaries. So we just kind of were able to keep our people and move into a house. That year, we got a foreign exchange student because <laughs> <laughs> having four kids, like, wasn't, wasn't enough, enough for, us. for us. So, but it was the most beautiful experience, I think. Like, it was. we love Lola so much. We loved her. Then we love her now. Um, my kids still talk about her like she's just somebody who's gone for a minute. <laughs> she was from Spain and she went to the same high school that Travis taught at. And that seriously was just, I, for me, it was the best distraction that I could have asked for because she just was like, I don't know, like a sister, you know? And I think that that's mm-hmm. really what I was missing there. So, and that's a whole story in itself. And I hope that she actually will do this podcast so you guys can meet her. She's nervous about her English, though. So. Oh, she spoke excellent English. Yeah, but she probably hasn't spoken English for a long time. Yeah. The two attributes that seem to come really easily for Travis that are really, really, really hard for me are forgiveness and patience. Um, I see him practice those two things daily when it comes to me but with what happened next to him I mean it was on a whole different level it's something that I don't know if I could have done if I were in his shoes but watching him make this decision so easily was just a real testament to me of of his character if I received a phone call from my dad. My parents got divorced when I was in high school, but he kind of left and we never communicated, never talked really, you know, consistently, maybe once in a while. Like every couple of years. Yeah, we'd, I'd get a phone call from him or a letter. Or, and it was never consistent. It was just really kind of a bad relationship, you know, not because of the divorce, but just because... Of just who my dad was. He's, I don't know, he's just kind of a, I don't know. He thought that it should have been us calling him. He just didn't want to take responsibility, I guess, to be a father and to be a grandpa. Or Anyways, not going to get into all of that. Basically, I received a phone call that's from my dad 
And he told me that he was diagnosed, well, this is in his words, that he had um, a, vi- a, a brain infection. Brain infection. He doesn't. He didn't know how much longer he ha- he would have to live, and so that kind of struck me, and it really made me think of, of my principles. And we always want to take care of our parents because they've done so much for us in our lives, and they've raised us. And he went to work for us. Sometimes my dad would work two or three jobs just to make ends meet, and so he was just. That's one thing I really got from my dad is that he's a worker. Um, he's taught. He taught me a lot in my life. Um, when I was little, he always took me on little jobs. He was a, he did masonry, but I mean he was a detective. That was his main job. But he did a lot of different odd jobs and just to make ends meet. And so I learned a lot from my dad. I mean he taught me how to do everything on a car and stuff like that. So kind of the normal dad stuff. But um, he was always just kind of stressed out because of his job. And you know I understand what he was going through now as being a father. Like you have to go to work, you have bills to pay, and you know, all those stresses, but anyways, I got a phone call, and so now I'm just thinking about, it's my job, that you know, I'm his son, I should go home and take care of him, or figure out what's going on with him. The brain infection that my dad thought he had was really uh, dementia, kind of a, what would you call it? Early onset. Early onset Alzheimer's. And so that kind of just set off an alarm in my head and said, well, I don't want a stranger taking care of my dad. It's probably my responsibility and my sibling, I mean, my brother and sister's responsibility to take care of him. So we talked about it and we we kind of discussed our options. And really, we just came down to that we probably the best thing for our family and for my dad and uh, just to move back to Utah. So it was a pretty hard decision. Um, because we had to leave everything behind in Vegas. So we moved to Las Vegas in 2013. That is where I feel like I've started most of my personal growth. I've spent most of my time there just trying to figure stuff out. I, I needed to figure out how to make friends. I needed to figure out how to make ends meet. I needed to figure out car problems when... You know, I didn't have my dad there to help me fix them. It was just like, like Travis said, it was so hard for me to be away from everything that I have had ever known. And in the beginning, I was so up for it. <laughs> that was like the part that was the hardest for me is that I was like up for the challenge. I wanted this new adventure for our family. And I think that I wanted it because now that I'm on the other side of it, it is where I had most of my personal development. And it really taught me that I can do hard things. I can make a dollar when I need to. I can make a thousand dollars in a month when I need to. And even though I didn't want to be doing that, the fact that I had to and that I did, it prepared me for what was coming next for our family. We moved back and it was tight quarters and it was it was hard, a lot of sacrifice. But I think we came together as a family. And, and then we decided to have another baby. <laughs> we found we out that Katie's, Katie got Katie I, somehow got pregnant. Somehow. I don't know how that works, but <laughs> she, uh, we clearly don't know how it works. Every time we move somewhere, we have a child, so we're trying not to move anymore. Going back to my dad. 
So we started to kind of figure out things with my dad and um, we'd go up and visit him, you know, maybe every week or so because he lived all the way out in Ogden. So it was kind of hard to be out there kind of on a daily basis. But I would take him shopping on Fridays. So I would go pick him up after work and go take him shopping, which was kind of kind of a good thing to kind of get to know my dad again and to help him out. But every every week I could see that he was getting a little, wasn't remembering enough. He was getting really, oh, how do you describe it? Like, like more childlike. He's getting more think? childlike and he is becoming really uh, paranoid about things. I think... I didn't really see the full on because they say that most people that go through go through Alzheimer's or dementia, they hide it around people they know. And so they're like on their best behavior, so to speak. And so he was probably a lot worse than what we really saw. And that's kind of hard to think about when we're looking back at it. So I got a, got some time to spend with my dad and talk to him and you know kind of find out how he was doing and see his circumstances and kind of how he was progressing and it was really started to go downhill my sister and her husband they found a memory care unit for him and so we tried a, a bunch of places and that's another whole podcast is talking about how hard it is to find a good facility for people that are suffering with dementia and Alzheimer's. I mean, you don't have $6,000. If you have to go through that, I feel it is, it is a tremendous stress and it's sickening how there's no options. Yeah. There's not a lot of options for people that, um, don't have a good savings or at least, uh, uh, to sell their house or a mortgage. I mean, if you have, very little going into this it's it's a very can be a very scary situation because a lot of these places won't take them in they have to kind of each facility can i guess run a test on them and test them and make sure that they're good for their facility and so they can be denied and um so it can be a very big stress and my sister she dealt with a lot of that i'd say the majority of it and so i know she is stressed out she had just had her first baby more than anyone and so she was dealing with that and then on top of that she just barely had a baby and so she was you know that kind of kind of I don't know took over a big part of her life of having her first child and stuff and so that that was a big kind of a I don't want to say downer but it was a hard thing I bet for her to deal with at the same time of trying to be you know excited and bring this new child into the world and get everything ready so well just goes back like the whole point of you guys being able to just like rise above because for her just take it on and do it how she did when he like you know she could have easily talked herself out of out of that Our garage door just opened. <laughs> Where's Daisy? Right here. Mm. I'm so 
Oh. That's weird. Our garage door just opened we and it was shut. Into our house. Spooky. Ooh, Jim's here. <laughs> Jim's here. The spirit of Jim is alive. A little scary. That's my dad's name. But anyways. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's freaky. <laughs> but my sister really took charge and there's one thing that I really admire about my sister is like if she is given a task, she gets it done. She's very accomplished and successful and uh, she just has drive a lot of drive when it comes to solving problems or getting something done. So that's something that I've always admired about my sister. But anyways, that could be a whole other podcast. Yeah. But to kind of sum it up, um, it's very hard to go through and see your own father forget who you are because um, we tried to, I think we had to take him through to three different facilities and then we actually, my dad started to get violent. He would get kind of aggressive with people if they tried to tell him what to do or if they tried to redirect his behavior or redirect what he was doing, he'd get really um, aggressive towards them. So my dad obviously has a background of a cop as a detective. And so he obviously didn't like it when people tried to redirect him or would grab him. You know, he had those kind of those motor memory skills, I guess, of, you know, always being on defense and alert. There was a point I remember where he wouldn't eat. And so he got really skinny. Like some, sometimes it's like weird like you didn't even really recognize him because, you know, he doesn't, he didn't really recognize us and didn't call us by name and stuff. And so sometimes it felt like you're kind of taking care of a stranger in some ways because, you know, they didn't know who you were and they weren't really the person that you grew up loving and the person that was taking care of you. So that was very hard. So it was really hard to see my dad pass away, but looking back at it is just such a spiritual experience of the phone call that we got in Vegas, you know, and the confirmation that we received to move back home. Cause I don't know how we would have dealt with it in Vegas cause we're so far away and we are, what we could have helped him with would have been very limited. And so we're grateful that we were able to move back and at least my kids, my older kids were at least able to, meet my dad and see him and talk to him before his dementia and Alzheimer's really, really, really declined. And so, so that was kind of a, a good thing really looking back, but it was very hard to watch someone you love go through that. And so that was the first trial that we faced as we moved back. And so um, me and Katie thought, well, that was probably the reason why we moved back because we had to be here to, to help my dad and so that was the main reason why we thought we moved back. But, but lo and behold. But lo and behold, there was something in store for us. Yeah. Something growing. <laughs> something During growing, yes. Which but, this is your story again, too. Is yes. this the most I've heard you talk? This is your story, too, though. It's both of our stories. This trial was a hard one for all of us. Let's tell them what but it anyways, is. But anyways, what the trial well, let's not. Let's keep them going so they have to find out what the trial is. Keep listening. Okay, but... Um, this is the best part of the story. 
we were able to find a house in Harriman where I worked, and so we moved into this house. And that so we thought was like an answer to, to our, our prayers. prayers, which was it was really nice. It was like it sounded like a really good situation, but it turned out not to be. Honored anniversary, January 29, thousand nineteen. I just got home from work, and Katie comes out crying. Our landlord that lived below us, who wasn't the landlord when we signed the who lease, who wasn't the landlord when we signed the lease. Somehow they sold the property to this lady that lived in the basement. Gave a letter to my fourteen-year-old daughter to give to me. Yes, that says it read that where we we are going to we are not going to to renew your contract. So. And we moved in there with the premise that we were going to live there for five years. So, again, we got kind of... Blindsided. Yeah, sometimes you just got to live and learn, right, in life. and. Well, but I've but, already been able to see why we were supposed to be there, even for a short time. Yeah, we met some really good friends, and again... I mean, like, even in, like, We had an awesome support system. We were so, there. Trav just, like, makes friends everywhere I don't. He goes. It's Katie. So, Katie makes friends everywhere she goes. So they weren't going to renew our contract, and so we had just barely moved basically in there. We've been living there for six, seven months, and so we had three, four more months left on our contract. I guess we had to be out by April. And so we were really sad about that, and it happened on our anniversary, so Katie was really emotional. (laughs) We just barely had our baby, Alex. Which, by the way, I've had the worst postpartum after him than I've had of any of my other four. So it made watching Travis go through what he went through even harder because I was not even half full. So it's not like I could really give much as far as support. You know, I looking back, I was empty. And then just to watch your husband go through that, I mean, we were, to be honest, like in a really pretty bad place as a couple. Really, in like I think both just trying to survive and not leaning on each other at all because I just knew that I didn't want to add to his plate, but like I also was so like a shell. I really felt like a shell for a long time. So then getting hit with that, like having to move again, I just was like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. (laughs) It's hard to move. We were just settling in, getting to know people in our ward, and something that we eventually got through and. Where we're living right now is currently is an awesome place and we love it. And yeah, maybe that was meant to be and why we had to move. So sometimes I think blessings can look like trials. Guess what? The listeners probably think that that is what we were leading up to. No, that is not what we were leading up to. <sighs> I'm just still hooking up. Oh. <laughs> You're still dragging it out. No, that's just what got the ball rolling. At first, I just thought it was like a bad stomach ache, kind of like just uh, something that I was eating, and, and it was almost just like a sore, sour stomach, a little bloating feeling. It wasn't like severely painful. It was obviously something that you can live on through. I mean, like he didn't ever stay home for a while. Yeah, it's it wasn't. I was never in like severe severe pain. Like with my gallbladder, I mean, sometimes when that would act up or flare up, or you'd have it. Sometimes I'd be on my knees crying. I remember the first time I had that, I thought I was having a heart attack because I couldn't even stand up. But there were nights where Katie had to like sit there and rub my back and I had to... 
He like, was it's like he was having was like I was having a baby. Yeah, but, I mean, it, but it was nothing like that. The pains that I was feeling. So, but to kind of so, but he had did say I want to go to the doctor, which he doesn't ever really go to the doctor. I hate doctors. I mean, I don't. I love doctors, but I just hate going to the doctor. Yeah. So don't be offended. I love doctors. I think they're awesome. But he had missed so much work already because of his dad. He was like, uh-huh. "Do you think he?" He's like, "We try and schedule me one." So I don't have to miss work. So I did have an appointment for him, like, just with his primary care doc. Because nothing was emergent, right? Like, it was just like, no. let's maybe do an x-ray or you can fill my stomach or... Yeah, I had like a, what they called a scratch in your stomach. And so I thought maybe that was coming back or something. So that's what I really thought it was. And so that's why I had her make the appointment because they can prescribe you this medicine that you just take and it heals the ulcer. But I was taking care of the kid. Katie was painting a kitchen and so it was just a Saturday a normal Saturday and then I went to the bathroom and in the toilet I saw this dark dark um it was kind of almost like balls but it kind of looked like I could tell it wasn't poop and then when I looked closer into the toilet it was blood and so that kind of scared me and obviously when I wiped I had there's blood and on the toilet paper and so you know, I looked it up. If you looked up on the internet, it kind of gave you some ideas of what what to look for. But you and knew it said if it it's bright red blood, it could be like a hemorrhoid or something. And but this was like really dark blood in the toilet, and so I looked that up, and that really scared me of what the results were. And so, well, yeah. So I had Audrey with me helping me, and. I was like a month-long project that I had been doing in this house. And so I was kind of on the tail end of it, but I had like 10% more to go, which Lindsay and Tyler, I love you so much (laughs) for not like hating me because I did. I just packed up and left and I'm like, are you sure it's not a hemorrhoid? And you're like, yeah, Kate, that's not a hemorrhoid. Just come home. And so came home and left Audrey to babysit. And well, first you had just said, let's go to the Instacare. So I called over there and I said, what would you, what would you do for these symptoms? And they said, well, we would only do an x-ray. And if we saw something, we'd send you straight to the ER. So just go to the ER and save yourself the copay and the time. And so that's Mm -hmm. why we went to the ER. And he drove me to the ER and I didn't really, I really still thought it was like something minor, something like an ulcer or, and at least I was hoping that, um, but from what I read on the internet, I was really scared. And so that was always in the back of my mind. And so I was, but I was also thinking, you know, sometimes you can't believe what you read on the internet or <laughs> you shouldn't. Yeah. But anyways, we go on the doctor and I told him my symptoms. You know, he fills my stomach and he does a couple other checks and then he leaves. Okay. And then another doctor came in and asked me the same exact questions. Well, it's the nurse and the resident. And And they did the exact same things and they felt my stomach. And and then the first doctor came in and he, I don't know if he like wanted to confirm what I was telling him because he asked me the same exact questions again, I think if I remember right. He's like, well, maybe we should run some tests, test and see what's going on. And so he leaves and then... If I remember right, both doctors came in. Yeah, and so one of the doctors, though, is Dr. Smart, Eric Smart, and I grew up living in the same neighborhood as him. 
And so, of course, we, like, had talked about our connection. His kids played mm-hmm. basketball and football with my brothers, and my sister was good friends with his daughter. And so we had kind of made this connection. And I just remember him looking in my eyes because I didn't know what was wrong with Travis, but I knew that, like, something was wrong with Trav. And I was just like, something's not right. Because, like, in that moment, I just felt like whatever's going on between the two of us had more to do than just with the two of us in a stressful situation of having a baby and having your dad die. Like, and I'm super woo-woo and, like, weirdo about feelings and intuition but I just will never forget he just looked in my eyes and I know he believed me I will forever I don't know if it was our connection or if it was the symptoms Travis was telling them but like I know that he like saw me in that moment and I will never forget that in my whole life yeah so both doctors come in and they say well we need to do a rectal exam he goes wait right now like with all the lights on (laughs) and I wanted to crawl in a hole Okay. I'm like, no uh, pun intended, but I don't know. Maybe I'm being childish about it, but I didn't expect it. And it wasn't something that I wanted to do that night. But anyways, <laughs> so they tell me to roll over, whatever, lift my knee up. And <laughs> I lift my knee up and all of a sudden you feel it. In your throat? And it feels, <laughs> feels like they're ramming a machine up there. And then... Wait, where did you hear that before? Oh. Where did you hear that before? Because that's how Katie describes getting checked when you're pregnant. Your membrane strip. Yeah, ramming a machine up there. <laughs> and so, leaving it there. So I was like, oh, now I know what Katie felt like. <laughs> so they do the rectal exam. They don't see anything. So they kind of rule out any hemorrhoids or anything like that due to the bleeding. There was nothing, there was no blood, I guess, in the lower colon or rectum area. So that kind of told them that maybe they need to do a CT scan. At this point, it feels like something serious is going on, but the doctors aren't telling me. So that's kind of what I'm thinking walking back there. And so that's just kind of always in the back of your mind. Why am I doing this? What is going on? What is, you know, because when they did the rectal exam, it seemed like the doctors had maybe an idea of what it could be. And they were probably hoping too. And they were probably hoping that it wasn't. And so they're trying to be, per, you know, take precautions and just trying to rule out things. And I think that's how they were kind of going about it is trying to rule out because I was having back pains. I also told them that I was always having, but I always just contributed that to being fat. And so those were kind of my symptoms, just a stomach ache that wouldn't go away that, you know, that wasn't total too painful to where I couldn't do my daily stuff, but it was constant, constant, and it just kind of bugged you, and especially when I ate. But went back and sit in. We sat there for I think it was like a long time. It they was, said expect it to an hour or two, but it actually ended up being like under an hour. Yeah, it seemed like a long time, but yeah. But then I remember knowing, like, when they came in with it, I was like, oh man. Why are they in so fast? But it seemed at the time like time like time had stopped and we were just looking at I don't think we even said a lot to each other. We were just Just so so nervous. Like what is going on? What is what are they why are they doing all these tests? And so Oh yeah, the first the doctor came in. He's like, Okay. Well, there's your follow up rules kind of just like he didn't like say anything. 
Um, Remember, he's like, this is just what you need to follow up with. You're going to need a colonoscopy and da, da da But it was just like, send you on your merry way kind of a thing. Yeah. And then he leaves. And then the male nurse <laughs> goes. So, like, we were like, oh, okay. Oh. So they didn't see anything. He's like, I'll just follow up with your col- with your colonoscopy. And-, and then he handed the papers to Katie and Katie started reading it. And then she, then this innocent nurse comes in and says, does cancer run in your family? Colon cancer. Does colon cancer run in your family? And I'm all, uh, hold up. Wait, we're like, no, why? He's like, oh. Uh, and so then I go, <laughs> where do I look on here for the impressions? How do we, yeah, how like, do we find out what, what the result, exact results were? And it's like, um, the exact words are, oh my gosh, now they're leaving me. It was like a mass in the colon. Oh, I know this. An obstructive mass in the colon or something could be cancerous or potential to be cancerous, but I don't know the exact verbiage. It'll come to me and I'll I'll have have to to look it it up. But But I was like, so is that, that means cancer? And he's like, oh, for sure. And he's like, didn't you see? He's like, and then he shows us like the the image. He shows us the image. And, and he, this is the nurse still, yeah, not the doctor. <laughs> and so I think the doctor was like, he's kind of. It seemed like he was scared to tell us. And I think it's probably partly maybe our connection. Like I don't want to tell this family this horrible yeah. news. Like I don't want to be the one. I don't know, but it yeah. was very weird. <laughs> but, I'm glad he ordered all those tests. Yes, but so it was weird. He had ordered. Yeah, he was look, looking. Malignancy back, he did, of. The colon. Yeah, malignancy of the colon. Potential malignancy of the colon. I will not say it wasn't because I was scared. I remember I didn't even sleep that night. I just stared at the wall. Well, I say we both went home to our respective sides of the bed because that's kind of how we had been doing it anyways. And freaking sat on my phone all night and screenshot different pictures of colon cancer and what stage it looked like. And the life expectancy after five Mm. years and for stage one, two, three, and four. I mean, I was like down the rabbit hole of what in the freaking hell has been handed to us. And we have to move. And (laughs) like we have this little baby. And four other kids. Yeah. Just having that baby for me, like, made it so much worse. Like, how could this even be happening right now? And I'll tell you that from that night, every single time I laid down, I had this picture in my mind. And it was me walking. It was so morbid. But it was me walking down, following a casket with a baby on my hip with my four kids behind me. And And I saw it every night for, like, two weeks. And then... This one night, I just heard God say, Katie, if he dies, you're going to be fine. If he lives, you're going to be fine. You guys are going to be fine. You will be fine. I will take care of you. You will be fine. And I never saw it again. And I fully believe, I believe that. From the minute that I heard that, I was just able to like trust the process. Like I felt more comfort after hearing that in my mind than I think anything someone could have said to me like on this earth. And if you don't believe in God, it was my subconscious or my higher self or (laughs) the universe, like whatever, whatever put that thought into my head, it was what made me be able to like move forward. 